All right, everybody, welcome back on this week's episode of the Warrior Mindset Motivation Podcast. I'm your host, retired Army Sergeant First Class Eric Castillo. I'm also a life coach at Zimi Wellness Center in Indigenous Sovereignty. And today, another another awesome guest. He's a U.S. Marine Corps. Uh, since I've been on the Marine Corps kick lately, apparently, uh, I did want to join the Marines before I joined the Army. But uh, the only reason why I didn't join the Marines is because they couldn't guarantee me a specific job, and the Army did. So I kind of just veered away from the Marines. But then I guess this might be the universe saying, hey, look, you were supposed to be in the Marine Corps there, buddy, because I keep getting all these Marines to come on. So, um, But here I have Charles Reed. He's a U.S. Marine Corps um, veteran. He was in Vietnam. And I'm not going to take too much away because he's he's got an interesting background, actually, when I read his um, biography. It's pretty interesting, and it's uh, got some stories in there, especially with his time in Vietnam and what he did and things like that. So, Charles, let everybody know a little bit about yourself. Eric, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm a Midwestern boy. I grew up in Iowa. Um, went to school there, got out of high school at 16, uh, worked for a while, wasn't ready for college, wasn't ready for the world, uh, didn't know what to do with myself, joined the Marine Corps, enlisted for four years. My father was a, a Navy officer during World War II and uh, was still in the reserves uh, at that point in time. Uh, he actually came to my graduation and made sure that uh, he did his introduction with the commanding general and so on because he was a, a senior Navy officer. So it was interesting. But uh, I did my uh, basic at uh, MCRD San Diego, uh, advanced uh, infantry training at Pendleton, was then stationed at Pendleton uh, where I was uh, in the computer in the computer business. I, they, 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 my first job uh, once I got out of training was uh, key punch operator. I did a week of that and then a, a week of doing proofing. And then they put me in the machine room and I became a, a peripheral machine operator. Then I was transferred to Okinawa. And in Okinawa, they sent me over to IBM to be trained as a COBOL programmer. Oh. And later I became a systems engineer. I spent 16 months in Okinawa and uh, asked for repeated transfers to Vietnam. I was young and stupid. Uh, you know, so, uh, and I finally got my transfer They, I, I, it, it was a funny transition because my orders were going to be for drill instructor school, which I didn't particularly want, but instead <laughs> I got my transfer to Vietnam. And when I got to Nam, I, I couldn't be there and be in the computer, uh, place. I mean, it was behind right. huge walls and so on and so forth. So I got myself transferred to the local uh, infantry company that did all the area work around Red Beach. Uh, it was a provisional rifle company. And I spent uh, about five months doing that. Uh, interdiction, ambushes, so on and so forth. Got my combat action ribbon. Um, saw limited combat, nothing huge. But, you know, the, the first time that uh, bullet went whizzing past my left ear, not my right ear, but my left ear. And I asked myself what the hell I was doing there. <laughs> uh, and, and of course, since I was the computer guy, they made me carry the damn radio. Yeah. So I carried a prick 25 out there in the jungle and, and in the rice paddies and everything else, which, you know, makes you just a target. Uh, right. It's funny how they do that with the radios, because I did the same thing when I became uh, a squad leader and a platoon sergeant. I'd be like, OK, who's really good with computers? And then you see a couple hands. 
you're the radio guy. And there you see their face go, what the hell? And it's like, yep, because you'll figure out the radio issues if there's a problem. So you're the guy or the girl. That's, and that's exactly <laughs> what they did. They stuck me with the goddamn radio. Uh, I remember, and and the, the bold prick 25s were, you know, they didn't always work real well. And I remember one time we'd gotten come out and we were trying to get a, a ride back to the base. We would finished for the evening, the ambush, and, and we were coming back and trying to get a pickup. And the radio wouldn't work. And Polo, who was Samoan, big guy. <laughs> he used to climb uh, coconut trees in Hawaii before the war. And it was nice to have him on, on patrol with us because middle of the afternoon would get hot. He'd climb a local coconut tree and get his fresh coconuts. And so he'd get <laughs> cooling coconut milk. Nice. So he was pretty good. But he was bitching at me because the radio wasn't working. And I said, here, you try it. And Polo takes his hand and goes, whap, right in the middle of my chest, throws me back, and I <laughs> land on the Prick 25. And you can hear it. Oh. And I said, well, it sure as hell won't work now. <laughs> so yeah, we it. actually flagged down a Vietnamese three-wheel cart thing, you know, mm -hmm. and loaded everybody up on it and drove us back to Red Beach. <laughs> down Highway 1. That was, that was crazy. Oh, jeez. So, uh, uh, when, when I got back from Vietnam, I was stationed in Kansas City. And uh, met, married my wife. Oh, nice. And my wife uh, had five children when I married her. She was 10 years older than I was. As I told you before the show, she got herself a boy toy and raised him right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as far as the five kids, I just claim insanity. But we were married. We were married for 45 years before she passed. She passed about six years ago. Mm. So uh, it was a good marriage. It wasn't perfect, but it was a good marriage. That's good. Um, and I got out in 71 and found, of course, that business community did not value my military experience. Uh, we'd moved down to Dallas, and I interviewed with an insurance company here. Mm -hmm. And they were moving from IBM 1401 to IBM 360, from an autocoder program to a COBOL program. I had just spent the last year in Kansas City doing exactly that with the, the then current Joint Unified Military Pay System, writing the Marine Corps portion of that to convert it all from 1401 autocoder to IBM 360 COBOL. And the SOB that was doing the interviews didn't think my experience uh, applied in the business world. Even though it you was, were doing the exact same thing. It was the only time I ever told a recruiter that he was an idiot. <laughs> uh, which we'll get into that when I did that in the military. That's why I didn't re-enlist. Um, right. <laughs> and uh, about six or seven years later, the company went bankrupt. And I think it was because they hired the wrong people. Yeah. So uh, I said at that point, I need to get my credentials. I went to college, got my bachelor's, my master's, sat for and passed my CPA exam uh, while I was still in graduate school. Went to work for Texas Instruments um, in, for the next 15 years, worked for various corporations, large and small, uh, did corporate, did turnarounds, had a lot of fun, a lot of experience. Realized right. I was never going to run a major corporation. I didn't have the political skills. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. Mm -hmm. So if I was going to run a company and 
like my father, and he had his own company, I was going to have to start my own. So 30 years ago, Ruth and I, my wife, started our own company. And uh, here I am today. Uh, it's, it's been a great journey. Had a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you work with your wife some, and I grew up with my parents worked together. And I thought, you know, a married couple working together was just natural. Mm -hmm. It's not a natural act. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It was, we, we, it was a whole new learning experience working with your wife. So, but we, we got through it and we, like I said, we're married for 45 years. So. Well, yeah, when you work, when you work with your spouse, you know, you each have different work ethics. Um, So it's it's learning to find the balance of the strengths and the weaknesses and knowing, okay, I'm strong in this and weak in this, and she's strong and weak. And then you put those together and then you, you learn each other's habits on how you work. And then it'll become a nice oiled machine. I think that the hard part is when people started is actually trying to figure out what their partner's strengths and weaknesses are and don't have the patience for it. Right. Because especially like with a veteran mind, I'm not, I'm not speaking for all of them, but like for most veterans minds, especially those uh, in combat jobs, it's very like meticulous, very deliberate now, now, now where, you know, maybe your partners are like that. So you have to like learn to apply that in a way to where he or she can get it and apply those to her weaknesses. So that way then you guys can, they can come together and make the business work. That that's a part of it. Another part is, and we all learn this after we get out that the hierarchical structure that exists in the military where you either jump for them or they jump for you doesn't work in business mm-hmm. and it doesn't work with your wife. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lucky then cause mine jumps for me and I jump for her. So I'm, I'm lucky there. Uh, and what else do you lie about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, not, not here. No lies here. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I need to ask her how, how, how she feels about that. Oh, she's actually watching and listening, so I'm sure she'll write something. <laughs> so um, I do have a question, though. What When you were getting out for that um, part of that transition, how, how was that? Like, how was – I know you spoke about you kind of were uh, – well, all, when we spoke offline, you were kind of, like, pushed out a little bit. Yeah. So, I, like – I mean, here's what had happened. I'm a computer programmer, systems engineer, and we had a, an officer in there, a major, uh, who wasn't a computer person. And I'm too smart for my own britches at times. <laughs> and he and I got into it, and I explained to him in terms that he couldn't object to that he was incompetent for his job. And he was. Uh but he couldn't do anything about it personally. So he had two junior lieutenants write me up for petty stuff. Right. Got me, got me busted from E5 back to E4, which, you know, Chesty Puller said, if you've never been busted, you're not a real Marine. So, <laughs> you know, it cost me a, quite a few thousand dollars when I separated, but I ended up getting an RE4 on my uh, DD-214, not recommended for reenlistment. So mm-hmm. they didn't want me. So right. my term was up. I got out and left. So during that piece, like when you were on the out portion, like how a lot of veterans struggle with um, identity, mental health, like kind of feeling lost, especially for someone like me. I did 17 and a half years. 
So like I joined at 17. So getting out for me was like, what am I doing? Who, who am I? First of all, cause all I know is the uniform. So it's, yep. it took me a, a little while to figure that out and hell I'm still figuring it out. Just not as much as I was a couple of years ago. Now I kind of have some sort of bearing and heading on where I'm going. Just not really sure because it's all uncharted water. So for you, how was that for you? It was, it was tough, but, uh, We'd been married a couple of years at that point, and my wife was far more of a people person and, and better grounded in the world than I am and was, and she helped keep me on the straight and narrow. We had the kids, so I got a job and worked um, because I had to put food on the table. It wasn't like I could just go off and do something. I seriously considered uh, joining a mercenary outfit because... Not only was I a combat Marine, I was a computer specialist, and we were in very high demand uh, in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not doing that. And I'm glad she did, or I'd have probably been dead in a ditch in Africa someplace. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, she kept me on the straight and narrow. Uh, it wasn't easy, but I worked, and I, I worked full-time. Uh, you know, I was working at... Uh, Colgate Palmolive making soap uh, for a while. And then conditions in Kansas City weren't good uh, financially at the time because of construction strikes and so on, uh, union problems. So we moved down to Dallas and uh, she found work and I found work and we, we moved on down the line. And then I went to college and spent uh, two and a half years getting my degrees. I was motivated to get them. So it didn't take me long. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me a new set of goals. And by the time I got out, I was a desired candidate. I MBA, CPA. Um, I had several good offers. Uh, picked Texas Instruments, which was fun, mm-hmm. interesting. Um, I, I, I learned there that uh, uh, they didn't value business people like they valued engineers. So that was a whole nother uh, kick in the teeth. I'd been there a year and they had the annual meeting and Jerry Junkins, who was the president at the time, talked about the 5,000 new engineers they'd hired in the previous 12 months and how they'd get these guys and they'd have them in the lab and then bring them out to the business side and back in the lab. And, you know, these were the future of Texas Instruments. And he spent about 10 minutes on that. And then he said, and we hired a thousand other new graduates and went on. (laughs) And I was one of those other thousand. So I knew my, my, my tenure at TI was going to be very short because uh, he basically told me he didn't care about me. So right. I moved on, and, and that's fine. TI has never been what they could have been because they're a great engineering company. Don't, don't misunderstand that. Great mm-hmm. engineering company. They do wonderful things. They, you know, they invented the integrated circuit, uh, but they have let business opportunities just – they invented the personal computer. They had it before IBM did. Uh, watches, calculators. Uh, um, I was in consumer products, lots of things, uh, shortwave radio, uh, uh, citizen band radios, all kinds of things that they just let piddle away that they, they never uh, took the market properly. Um, right. They could have owned the personal computer market. They could own every desktop in the world, but they right. chose not to. Right. Um, no, and, the, and that happens too a lot with companies like, you know, where they do. And like I, one I learned about was uh, 
the company uh, TCL. I didn't know that they made the screens for Samsung and LG until they went on and started making their own TVs. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So it's like you look at their TVs and they're just as good as Samsung and LG for like way less in price. And you're like, well, dang, this screen is the same as that screen. It just doesn't look as pretty, you know, because yeah. they're basically, boom, square. Here's your TV where Samsung and LG do a little flares and dares and sparkles and bedazzles to make it look nice where but you still get the same screen. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that about Texas Instruments. In all probability, the computer you're looking at has Texas Instruments chips in it. They're the, the leader in digital signal processing, without mm -hmm. a doubt. They could and, have uh, been doing the whole computer. But they, they I didn't know that. From yeah. So for you, how, what what kind of uh, inspired you and then your wife at the time to start your business? Like, I know you said that you realized that you weren't going to be in charge of a company. So you started your own. What how did that idea happen? Because an idea always comes from somewhere, you know. So like what 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 caused that to blossom to where you are now? Well, my last job prior to starting the company, well, next to the last I was with JC Penney's. I was a system controller uh, in their specialty um, products area. Uh, I'd taken over running, uh, helping run a plant in Arkansas. We'd move the office staff down to Dallas and things changed at the top and they were going to move it back to Stuttgart, Arkansas, out in the rice paddies. And uh, I said no. And they said, well, that's where the job's going. I said, I got a contract. So the lawyers got into it. And my lawyer knew the people at Financial Express, which was a franchise outfit for mobile accounting. So I needed a job because Penny's wasn't paying me anymore while the case went to court. So I took over as uh, uh, COO, uh, Chief Operating Officer uh, at Financial Express. The board was after the management to sell off the original office uh, because they wanted to concentrate on franchising. So I bought it and went into business myself because I, I liked the concept. We had a couple of mobile vans and we did accounting and I had uh, payroll on the side and Ruth came into the business and worked with me and uh, we had a lot of fun. But it was the it was the final thing at Penny's that just said, I, I, I don't want to put up with these assholes. <laughs> I, I don't want to live on their whim. I don't want to have to, their whim decides where I'm going to live. No, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. I put up with it when I was growing up, obviously. I put up with it in the military and I put up with it for 15 years in corporate. Uh, I mean, I'm, we were in Dallas. Uh, I took a job in North Carolina. Uh, T.I. had moved me to Lubbock and then moved me back. That's 350 miles. Uh, I took a job in North Carolina. I took a job in San Antonio. And I got tired of people telling me, uh, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And screw it. Yeah. Uh, it it's not worth it. I, I want to control my own life. And the only way to do that is control your own income. And the only way to do that is to have your own business. <laughs> yeah. uh, whether, it be, whether it be just yourself as a consultant or an artist or whatever. Uh, but I took control of my life. Well, Ruth and I took control of our lives, uh, our life together. And we made those decisions and we made those choices. And we weren't going to let anybody else tell us what we had to do or where we had to go or 
you know, well, we, we're, we're changing corporate philosophy, so you're going to do this. Screw you. Yeah. I ain't going to do it anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I got real tired of it in my early 40s, and I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to put up with this bullshit. Right. <laughs> and I think so that's, that, was, that's, uh, that was the impetus. And I think that's in the mind of a lot of veterans, too, because a lot of veterans are entrepreneurs in themselves. You know, it's because they, they have that drive to to do that, because when you think about it, when you're when you're in the military, you make decisions. So it's like, yeah, there's someone in charge of you. But at the same time, you're in charge of people, you know, so you're you're making decisions. You're you're making choices and you're you're working. I kind of put it like you're working for yourself at the same time as working for someone else, because they're going to hold you accountable for the decisions you make. So like when you're your own and you have your own business you you hold yourself accountable for your decisions you know and well if you do something crazy big brother's gonna come over here and slap you in the head and be like hey you know i'm gonna get you so it's like yeah so you're working for yourself which is good but then you know there's always that oversight but at least when you have your own business you can control your own hours you can say you know what i don't want to do work today i want to go on vacation and then you put stuff in place to do that yeah, and that it, it that sounds good, and it's true to a certain extent. But when you're a new entrepreneur, I was on a panel here a couple of years ago, and the question came up: Well, what about work-life balance? And I cracked up. I just started laughing. I said, as a new entrepreneur, there is no such thing. Your balance is work. Period. And yeah. uh, hopefully, you have a spouse that understands that. Yeah. And mine worked with me, so she understood it well. But the first 10 years, we didn't take vacations. Uh, our only our only way was if I had a conference to go to and she came along with me. Uh, and we may have, may take an extra day in someplace like Boston or whatever. But, uh, no, the first 10 years was, was 70, 80 hours a week. And, but that made it work. And that's where we're, why we have a – we've been in business. We – We've been in business right. for 30 years. We had our 30th anniversary last month. So right. we're, we've been successful, made a nice living off of it. Got a, got a nice house up on the lake. Uh, you know, uh, I've got a nice retirement planned. It's Life's been good to us. Right. Um, so and I think the problem, too, with entrepreneurs is they expect it to happen quickly. You no, know? If you want to be a unicorn, type of horn to your forehead okay uh, you know you're, you're you're not gonna you're not the chances of you being bill gates uh um, who's it, um, tesla whoever he is uh, mm -hmm. musk or somebody like that are infinitesimal the chance of you making a good living as an entrepreneur pretty damn good if you work at it yeah but and and this is one of the things that i like to tell people and i believe in is is a is a with pearl of, of wisdom. And I, I stole it from Bill Gates. And I used it just this morning talking to one of my staff people. People will overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Business, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, it takes time. <clears throat> you don't make a million. You don't start making a million dollars a month the first year, with rare, rare exceptions. Even Bill Gates, 
you know, it was a struggle to get DOS set up and going and, 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 and get things done and so on. And it wasn't a cakewalk in the beginning. Uh, none of it is. So right. it's all, it's a lot of hard work. And if you're lucky, uh, you hit the, the exact right thing and you become wildly, wildly successful. But most entrepreneurs fail once, twice, three times. They keep going. If they're, if they're serial entrepreneurs, they do it again and again and again. And hopefully they hit one that makes them a nice living, uh, gives them a good income, takes care of their retirement, takes care of their family, raises their kids, puts them through college. Those kinds of things happen. You, you have made a business and, you know, the millionaire next door is, is the guy that owns his own business. You don't make that kind of money working for somebody else in yeah. with rare exceptions. I mean, if you're Jack Walsh working for GE with stock options and so on, you can get very rich. But again, that's very, very unusual. Uh, most people working for somebody else build up a, a mediocre retirement over 30 or 40 years and, and then go stagnate someplace. Uh, I'm 72 now. I still work full time. I enjoy it. Uh, if Ruth was still alive, we'd probably be traveling a great deal. But without her, what am I going to do? Sit at home by myself? So I come in and annoy my staff and work and <laughs> write. Uh, we just published our fourth book last year, uh, the payroll book. It's a, it's a book on payroll for a, small yeah. business, a guide for small businesses and startups. Uh, that was a two-year project. Uh, I'm working on another one, uh, trying to outline it at the moment, uh, which will be a more general business book. So uh, I'm having fun. I'm doing things. Um, I was doing some public speaking. I'll do more uh, when COVID stops being the scare that the government likes to beat us all with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, life's good. It's good. So um, last thing we do here on the, on the shows, we have like a little closing uh, statement, basically kind of like, you know, your personal message to veterans or active duty in the midst of transition, getting out like a piece of advice for them uh, on, when they start to approach their endeavors or some who just kind of need another, an, another jumpstart because they're kind of slacking at the moment. Again, uh, it's, it's going to go back to what I, what I was just saying a minute ago. It's not a sprint guys. It's, it's, it's a slog. It's, it's a campaign. Uh, you, you may not make it today. This particularly entrepreneur venture may not make it, but you're looking at a long journey. It begins with the first step and then the second and the third and the fourth. If you expect to be a unicorn, you're going to be disappointed. If you expect it's success, you're going to be disappointed. Um, it's a journey. You know, you don't become Sergeant Major in six months. Right. You start as a buck private and you learn and you grow and you experience. Uh, you get training, you get mentored, uh, you, you grow in your capabilities, you grow in your experience and in your knowledge. And that's what allows you to progress in the ranks. Well, it's the same thing in business. You don't just walk into business and be the end all be all. Uh, your, your military experience, I think, gives you a step up. You understand mission, men, self. The mission comes first. You get whatever you do, whatever it takes to get it done. Then you take care of your men, which is your your people that work for you, or your clients, or both. You take care of them, mm -hmm. and then you take care of yourself. So you're always going to be last in this, but you you get to scrape it off the top in the end, and it's it can be a pretty good living. It can be yeah. a great living. 
but right. it's it's mission men itself and you've got the discipline having been in the military both external and internal discipline to do the hard things that a lot of civilians won't do they want to work from nine to five for somebody else take home a paycheck and plan on a, a mediocre retirement and at 65. That's not what we do as veterans. Right. Uh, we're smarter than that. We've been better trained than that. We have more experience, more discipline. So it's a long slog, guys, but man, it can be really worthwhile. Right. Well, that's that's a, that's an awesome message and that's really, really good. Um, and just so I can add a little more to that, uh, failure is your friend. Uh, when you fail, you learn and you get experience. Uh, guys and gals. So just know that uh, don't be afraid to fail. If you fail, fail forward. Don't fail backwards. Success, um, is, as Patton put it, is how high you bounce when you hit the bottom. Yep. Perfect. So uh, I appreciate you, Charles, for uh, coming on here, taking a, a brief time in your schedule to talk to the vets here in the veteran community about, you know, your background experience and giving them a little words of wisdom and stuff like that. And if you want to check out his book, it's in the description. Uh, you can follow yeah, him here on Facebook at the Get Payroll. I know they shared this uh, podcast on there, so you can follow their page if you want. Uh, down in the description, you can follow uh, me on any all of my social media links if you want. Down there, it's under my Firebase and Solo link, so you can go there and follow it. Uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in, and then we will see you all next week with our next guest. So everybody have a great Thursday, and see you later.